Thank you, Josh. And thank you to all the musicians. Man, I, uh, I love it when the Lord brings all that together. Uh, I, I didn't coordinate. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to tell you what time I got my notes to, to Josh. So there was no coordination on what I'm going to share with you this morning in the music, but the Lord tied these uh, together beautifully, and I'm thankful for that. Pastor Cook, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to stand up here. It's not lost on me, the trust that's demonstrated when the pastor turns the pulpit over to someone else uh, who's visiting. I pray that that uh, at the end has been well-placed. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm a, I am a little worried. Uh, somehow in the busyness this week, I packed my watch, uh, so I don't have a watch. Uh, I see there is a clock up here, but I'm not used to looking up, and these bright lights are kind of make it hard to see. So Sam, you're in charge. If I go over about 20 minutes, you stand up and wave and point to the clock. And uh, my other, my other uh, problem is I've got gum in my mouth. I was handed a small sheet of paper to put it in. I did not use it yet, but if I start chomping on that, uh, Jared, I'd like you to wave and to give me some kind of sly signal that I need to put the gum. Do I need to take it out? I'm a, uh, thank you, Pastor. Man, a servant's heart right there. I was actually going to use it later. All right, well, so long for that piece of gum. I tell you what, it is uh, truly a privilege to be here this morning. It's a privilege anytime to get to stand up uh, and share uh, from God's Word, but particularly in this congregation. Uh, I'm Amy Mark. My wife, Amy uh, Mark, uh, was Amy Morris, daughter of Mark and Mary Morris. Um, and our three children are with us this morning. Uh, Kate, Amy, and Carolina is down in, in the children's church. Um, but it is a particular privilege to be here with you this morning just because the connection we have with many of you um, who have been here for, for many years and we have gotten to serve with together, worship with together, grow in the Lord um, and impact this community um, for God's glory together. I came here in 1995 as a student at Laterno in the aviation program, um, and it was a, a different kind of school then. They, they're branding themselves, themselves now, if you've seen the billboards around town, as the Christian Polytechnic University, um, but it was even more a very technical university back then. There were none of these liberal arts degrees that they have now, which meant for us young men that there were very few young ladies uh, there. And so we sat uh, up, uh, the college guys, where the garrisons are this morning, up on this front row, and all the youth group uh, sat down here in the front, uh, like you are this morning, and so we would scope out all the cute youth group girls um, and try to score dates. And so actually, Amy and I uh, sat together, it was a youth trip that some of the college guys got to go on, I sat next to her in her prom date, um, and she mentioned that she played tennis, and uh, my roommate was interested in her twin sister, Emily, and so uh, we invited them out for a double date so he could have the chance to get to know her. That didn't work out. Another roommate uh, thought he'd give it a try and uh, uh, invited Emily out for on a couple dates, and Amy and I tagged along for those as the awkward third wheel, and uh, that didn't work out either, but over time, Amy and I spent a lot of good quality time together with no pressure. <laughs> Uh, and it worked out for us, so I am very thankful. We got married right here. Uh, we pledged our lives together and covenanted to love each other until death do us part. Um, and so this church has a, has a really special place. It also has a special place in my heart just because of the growth the Lord allowed to happen in my life here through solid biblical teaching. Um, I was at a tough point uh, in my life when I left home and came here as a student, uh, realized that I didn't trust God. I had grown up in church uh, professed faith at a very young age, um, but realized that I, I knew very little of what it meant to be in a right relationship 
with God. And through the, the faithful biblical teaching, through intentional discipleship and connection here at Oakland Heights, um, the Lord transformed my life and really gave me the vision um, to, to dedicate my life uh, to cross-cultural ministry. Um, and it was here that I was baptized, uh, in the baptistry right, right behind us. And so I thank all of you uh, for the role that many of you had, um, have had in my life and Amy's life uh, over these many years. And uh, so what are we doing now? We got married here uh, back in 2002. Um, after that, uh, I served in the military um, for a little over 13 years, and the Lord transitioned us into mission aviation. Now, I'm a mechanic now, uh, using those skills that I learned in the military um, on smaller planes and helicopters, uh, serving remote parts of Papua New Guinea that are inaccessible by any means other than air. You can go ahead and flip to the next slide. Papua New Guinea, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's a small island country just north of Australia. Google tells me uh, it's 8,171 miles, give or take, uh, from where we're sitting right here this morning, on the other side, literally, of the globe. Um, and it's an extremely rugged country. It's about the size of the state of Texas. Uh, Eight million people scattered across just incredible rugged mountains, rivers, swamps, um, that, that really isolate these people groups. And so there's 800 different people groups with completely different languages. And over 250 of those people groups still have no gospel witness. No, no, no one has ever heard the name of Jesus. No one has ever had any of their language even written down, let alone any portion of Scripture, that they could come to a right relationship with our loving God. And so those are the people that we seek to work with. So Ethnos 360 uh, is uh, the organization that we serve with. You may have heard of it before as New Tribes Mission, uh, new name uh, just in the last couple years, but same mission, same heart. We desire to do the same thing. There's really four kind of key pillars of the ministry that we're engaged in. First of all, we aim to minister in unreached people groups. So in, in Papua New Guinea, there's still about 250, but about around the world, there are over 2,500 unreached people groups, people groups that are so remote in many cases or in such, such challenging uh, countries that are, that are closed to the gospel and, and access is very difficult that they have not a single word uh, of Scripture in the language have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And so it's those unreached people groups um, that our organization seeks to minister to. When we have the opportunity, when we're invited in uh, to work with those people, uh, we work in their language and culture. So the missionary teams that go, it's usually two to three families. When they go to these places, they spend the first two to three years of their time there learning the culture, learning the language so that they can create a written alphabet. Most of these languages are spoken only. They've never had anything written down. And so they create a written alphabet uh, they translate the scripture and then teach foundationally from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, giving them a, a firm foundation and an understanding for when the, when the gospel comes, what that, what that actually means. Because they, they believe in all kinds of spirits. They live in fear, constant fear of these spirits that, that are kind of capricious. They don't know from one day to the next if they're going to be happy and, and bless them or if they're going to be angry or, or sad and curse them. And so they're constantly trying to figure out what spirits are at work in their life or what dead ancestors are at work in their life and how do they appease them. And so learning about a God, a spirit that's not regional, 
Like they, they kind of believe like, hey, in, in our people group from, from this mountain range to that mountain range and, and maybe back to that river, these are the spirits like we know they're at work. But on the other side of that mountain range, I have no idea what kind of spirits are over there. And so that serves to even more isolate these people groups. So for them to hear about a God that created everything and that is all powerful and all loving and desires to have a personal <laughs> loving relationship with them, that's mind-blowing. It should be mind-blowing for us, but it's incredibly mind-blowing for them. So learning their culture, learning their language so that we can be able to communicate that clearly is part of what we do. We present that then, like I said, in foundational Bible teaching from Genesis through Revelation so that they have an understanding of what it means when Christ comes finally. This, this promised deliverer, it was promised in Genesis chapter 3. God says I, right after the fall, he tells Adam and Eve, I will send a deliverer. And all the way through, we're, we're looking at, hey, is it Abraham? No, no. Is it, is it Joseph? No, no, no. And, and we, we have all these pictures of, of folks that are, God is using mightily in, in the nation of Israel and in, in our history of humanity for his glory. And yet it's not until the New Testament that we see Jesus Christ finally come. And so when that day comes, man, they rejoice at the awesome gift that God has offered us. And when they do, when they respond in faith, those missionary teams stay. They stay for 10 to 20 years in those people groups, continuing to translate, continuing to mentor, continuing to disciple so that we can see thriving churches, mature churches that can stand on their own two feet with their own pastors, their own deacons, their own elders, their own missionaries so that they can come alongside us in ministry and take their rightful place in evangelizing the people around them. And so that is what we get to be part of, what you have enabled us to be part of through your generosity. This week I was reading in 2 Corinthians, and Paul was talking about uh, this, this gift of, or this, this uh, that's the, the paper for my gum, but you already took care of it. <laughs> Paul was talking about this gift of giving generously. And it's in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. And he says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He just, he just commended the, the Corinthian church for all these things they were doing well. He was saying, man, you guys, you guys have done some really great things. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. And I was like, man, man, this church, this congregation, this body has excelled for years in the grace of giving. We have, we have been the beneficiaries of that in so many different ways an encouragement from people sending us notes on Facebook or sending us letters uh, overseas or checking up uh, with Mark and Mary. Man, how are they doing? How can we pray for them? What do they need? It is so encouraging. <laughs> As Josh said, man, the, it's hard to even, even communicate how, how hard it can feel sometimes, how remote it can be, how disconnected you can get when you're on the mission field with all the stresses and all the different cultural things and Satan loves to play on that. Man, he loves nothing more than to discourage you, to distract you from the ministry that God has given us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so your encouragement to us is, is I can't even say thank you enough for how impactful that is to us. Your faithful prayer uh, for us. There's a picture of uh, a gentleman. This is Quill. Um, you've prayed faithfully for us, many of you personally. Uh, and we thank you for that. You've also prayed for the ministry, for the people that are, are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is Quill. Um, he's a, one of our brothers in Jesus Christ. Uh, we had had the privilege in our first Christmas and New Year's there to spend two weeks in his tribe, the Paul people. They live on these ridge lines um, that take from one end to the other in the, these little hamlets 
their people group. It's about an hour and 45 minutes to hike to all the different hamlets. And Quill lived in the, in, the, in the closest hamlet, and he'd come over quite a bit in those two weeks, and, we, and we'd talk. And he also showed me around. And, and we were hiking one day down to this, down to this area uh, to, to partake in the, in the ceremony that they were having. And it's this really steep, really muddy, really slick trail. And the, the missionary that we were visiting had just turned around and, and said, said Imee, if, 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 just be careful. If any place I fall, it's right. And he didn't even say here. And down I went on my backside, bouncing down the mountain. Well, because this was a, a rare ceremony, this whole village that we were going to visit, they had all gathered at the foot of this, this mountain, at the base of the trail. There's like a hundred people down there all gathering up with their kids and dogs and pigs and chickens. They're all looking up at us, and they just, they just burst out laughing. You can hear it all the way up where we are. Ha, 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 that guy just fell down the mountain. And so, like, right, what do you do, right? You got to save your pride. You, like, pop back up, and you're, like, dust yourself off. I'm good, and I'm good, thank you, I'm good. And nobody saw that, and you just try to keep walking. Well, as soon as I got back up, I fell down. Like, three or four times, like, I stood up, and I fell down. I stood up, and I fell down. And Quill was standing next to me, and he got two, uh, three of the other, other young men. He said, hey, hey, come, come give this guy a hand. And so Quill comes up to about here on me, about up to my shoulder. And so he and three other guys, he said, hey, put your arms out like this, Imee. I don't know what you're about to do, but okay. I put my arms out, and they pick me up. They pick me up, and they carry me down the rest of the mountain. It was so embarrassing. (laughs) But I went back a couple years later uh, after they had appointed deacons and and teaching elders, and they were about to go uh, to another group in their same language group that was six hours away. The Lord had put it on their hearts, hey, now that we have this message, now that we understand it, now that we have folks that are ready to teach it, we are responsible to go out and reach out to our own people. And so he was part of the teaching team at the time that was getting ready to embark on this endeavor to go to some of their own people, to send their own missionaries six hours away to live in this other village to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I said, Quill, how does it feel? How does it feel to be at this point? And he just, he just kind of looked at the ground and rubbed his head. He said, I'm I mean, do you remember how terrible you were at walking around here? <laughs> I, well, I mean, I wouldn't say terrible. I mean, maybe not great, but he's like, no, you were, t- you were terrible. I said, okay, I was terrible. He said, you know how you kept falling down? Do you remember that? I'm like, yeah, I, I remember that, Quill. He's like, remember how we had to carry you? I'm like, man, he's just rubbing. He's like digging it in. Like, yes, I remember how I fell down. I remember how terrible I was. I remember how you had to carry me. He's like, I mean, that's how I feel right now. It's like, I, I don't feel, they, they say, I, I, I'm not enough. Me no enough. I don't have what it takes to do this, I mean. Is that I, I've had all the teaching, I, I understand the scripture, I, I've been mentored into, into how to share, how to put together a lesson plan, how to disciple, but I am not enough. I, I'm not ready for this. And I shared with them about the congregation of Oakland Heights and some other churches that have partnered with us and your faithful prayers for them. And man, a smile broke out on his face. He's like, I mean. He's like, it's just like, it's just like when we carried you down the mountain. He's like, those churches are supporting us. They are carrying us. He said, if we do this together, if they are really praying for us, we can do this. Because I'm not enough. But together in the body of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I can do this. And so I want to thank you on behalf of Quill for your faithful prayers because it, it means so much to somebody you will never meet this side of eternity. 
who feels strengthened for the task at hand because he knows that there are people here at Oakland Heights that are praying for him. And so I thank you for your part in that. You've also given very generously in finances. And really, that's, that's what Paul's actually talking to, to the Corinthian church here about. He's, he's saying excel in this gift of giving financially. He was going to send uh, Timothy to, to come pick up some gifts for another church. And he was talking about how Macedonian church had already done such a great thing. And man, you guys have been so generous as a church, as Sunday school classes, as individuals and in sharing with what God has given you and trusted you with, with us. As, a, as members of a mission where we raise our own support, we don't have a, a monthly paycheck. Um, we couldn't do this without you. And so we thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity in enabling us to partake in this, in this ministry and for being partners with us in it. Not just for us, though. Uh, have you been generous? Two years ago, January of 2019, you had a chili cook-off. Uh, some of you may have, may have par- participated in that. You raised thousands of dollars that went to help build a church for Pastor Joel Kamaya. He's a pastor of a local church that lives about uh, 15 minutes south of us, uh, where we serve, and an incredible, incredible partner in ministry, not just with our aviation department our, in our local area, but across the entire country of Papua New Guinea. I'm going to let him share a little uh, bit with you. Uh, Joel Kemaya, me name Rose Michael and Mary Lochimbo. Na me to play with Marit Law 1997. Me come low, one platter, call him Inoke. Papa Blomilo is Lahapna, Mama Blomilo, one Bit like being come low, me being come stop low here, low penat in low nineteen ninety one. Now, nineteen ninety one, and some blame missionary low new tribes, only been come, not school in Platin Post. Now, me play been lining Martin Popla or five play year. Now, kissing sour, now being me go walk low new tribes machine in a low low print shop, walk fifteen years. Now, time walk low print shop yet, and Rosy come na midla maret na. Mi play bin walking up na bien princho pipinista sol. Mi kat na pla walk tu emosem. Mi play bin kambis lo hielo benam bridge lo disla place. Kama pim liglik place lo hap liglik sius. Time mi play bin simplani posi kam na. So that was Pastor Joel just sharing a little bit about himself, his family, how he got to that area. Um, but I want to show you a picture of his house, what he was living in when you all reached out. So that on the left uh, of your screen there, as, as you're looking at it, that's the, their conference kitchen, uh, kind of like your dining hall downstairs, uh, where when they have church conferences, they cook in that little grass hut there on the left. In the center is a family member's hut, and that green, that, or sorry, that, uh, that light uh, straw-colored part on the front, that was where they were living. And we'll get a closer picture of that in a second. But their, their house that was falling down was over on the right side. They'd lived in that house for about 20 years. Most of those houses, because they're made out of just local materials of bamboo and grass, they last for about six or seven years before they have to be completely reconstructed. They had lived in this house and managed to, to make it work for about 20 years. But when you reached out uh, in your generosity to help build them a new house, they were living not in that whole thing, but just in this really light-colored part on the front there. It was about eight feet wide 
by about 12 feet deep. And their whole family, uh, wife, five kids, and guests who were coming to visit them for discipleship. They had, had two to three men at a time coming constantly for discipleship and mentoring, learning to teach. Man, how do I teach? Uh, or, or you've already taught me how to teach Genesis. Now, now we're moving into Exodus. Hey, help me, help me understand this before I go back and teach it. So constantly they had, they had a whole group of people living in that house. You can go to the next house or next slide. So with uh, the funds that you gave, they were able to frame out a house uh, just behind that area. They flattened out the ground, framed this out, and you can show the final product. Uh, that's the, the house that uh, they were able to build. Um, man, it has been such an incredible blessing for them, such an incredible blessing. It's allowed him to continue not only his ministry locally, but but nationally across the country. He's been able to lead his congregation through evangelistic outreaches there in the area. They've held conferences both in the, in the church building that he was sitting in front of in that video and underneath their house in that blue tarp area. It's been able to host believers that are coming in from out of the area. A lot of them don't feel comfortable sleeping in a, a normal-looking house. They would rather sleep on the dirt, what they're used to. And so they'll sleep uh, in that tarped area underneath the house um, in the evenings. And uh, so it's allowed him to continue to be uh, a host, a, a mentor, a discipler of folks that are out in outlying areas that will travel in to learn how to teach um, God's word faithfully. It's allowed him to feel comfortable um, in the circumstances he's leaving his family in so that he can go out. Uh, he has outreach ministries in his own people group. They call it his talk place um, where he has trained several young men who are, are teaching through uh, the scripture, and he goes out fairly regularly to check in with them and, and make sure uh, things are going well and, and help them through any, any challenges that they've, uh, they've come across. Um, and he also partners with us, with, with New Tribes uh, Papua New Guinea, in ministry and going out to many of our tribal church plants uh, and in teaching and encouraging uh, not just the, the elders and, and folks in the churches there, but our missionaries as well. Um, and so he has been able to resume that ministry uh, now full-time, uh, thanks to your generosity, um, and it's been a blessing not just to their family and not just that local community, but to people groups across the entire country of Papua New Guinea. So I thank you uh, for your excellence in giving. All right, the rest, actually, I almost, I almost missed this. Not only I thank you, um, but I want to read just a short letter that Pastor Joel wrote and asked me to share with you. Um, and actually, Pastor Cook, if you join me up here, um, in Papua New Guinea, they're known for these string bags, belums, uh, and some of them are just colorful designs, uh, just for so, um, but many of them uh, stand for something. It's like wearing your, uh, your football uh, cap or, or your, your t-shirt uh, on the, the day that your team is playing so everybody knows who you're a fan of. Um, and this is the, the particular belum that they have made that represents their church, people that are affiliated with them, that do ministry with them. Um, and they sent me back with this. They have one uh, for Pastor Cook. This is a, this is a men, man's belum. I don't tell Pastor Linthicum. I have one for him. It's a woman's belum. Um, but what he doesn't know won't hurt him. Um, but but they, they wanted to give this uh, as an offering and just a symbol of the partnership they feel that you have had with them and that you represent uh, their church in ministry um, here in East Texas. And, and he said this. I'm going to translate it. Uh, he wrote it in the, the trade language. Uh, but he, he says, Dear brothers and sisters inside the body of Christ, we, the Kamaya family, joyously thank you for... 
I, I want to read it in pigeon as I'm looking. We, we joyously thank you for the generosity that the Lord has, that you've, you have uh, demonstrated and the Lord has laid on your heart. You all built us a new house. You all pray for us regularly. And I ask that you continue to pray all the time that we can clearly proclaim the good news of God across Papua New Guinea. And he said, more yet. That we can continue even more to proclaim the good news of the gospel across the, across the country. He says, thank you, Joel Kamaya and family from the Bainham Bridge Church. So, Pastor Cook, thank you. Man, thank you. Yes, sir. I'll wear it proud. <laughs> Okay, in the few minutes we have left this morning, I want to transition from just kind of thanking you all for, for your, your gift of, uh, of excellence in giving and talk about what it looks like to be excellent in living. If you have a Bible this morning, I, I pray you do. You can take it out and turn with me. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And I apologize. Man, I'm going to share a story with you this morning. Some of you, I've, I've shared uh, this in the year that we've been here. My family has heard me share it numerous times. Um, but man, it's a story that, that just grips my heart. And it's been a true privilege to serve in cross-cultural ministry, getting to see God's word through another culture's eyes, sitting down and reading it together. And, and they're going, hey, uh, Ani, what, what'd you get out of that passage? And, and I'll share and they'll scratch their heads and say, really? That, that's what you got out of that? And I'll say, well, what did you get out of it? And they'll share and I'll scratch my head and go, really? That's what you got out of that? And uh, man, it's just been, it's been a, a beautiful opportunity just to, to grow in, in my uh, understanding of God's word um, and just to be, yeah, part of the, the global body of Christ. And so uh, I, I pray this morning as I share the story that it will be uh, an encouragement to you, a challenge to you as we grow together in the Lord. So as we look at excelling in living, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's the, the New International Version. That's the old New International Version. The, the new one, I, say, I think, says this is your true and proper worship. The, the Amplified uh, Version, which I, I like sometimes, because uh, instead of trying to pick like the one word that really fits they just said, you know, forget it. We're going to pick every word that has to do with this concept, and they just put them all in there. Um, so in the Amplified Version, it says, this is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. Another version translated as our reasonable act of worship. Being living sacrifices. He says, it's your reasonable act of worship. Well, why? Why is that reasonable? Well, he just gotten finished in in Romans chapter 11, talking about the mercy of God. In fact, he's, he's so overwhelmed by the mercy of God that he closes chapter 11 in a doxology, in a, in a song. He just bursts out in song. He can't contain himself. He's talking about how awesome God's mercy is to, to the Israelites, uh, to the, the, the Gentiles, to the whole world. And, and he closes out uh, chapter 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So he just, he just man, burst out in song for that. Just couldn't contain himself as excited as he was about the mercy of God. But why is that exciting? Why is God's mercy exciting? Why do you need the mercy of God? Why do I need the mercy of God? 
Well, he'd explained a couple chapters earlier in Romans 3.23, which some of you can probably quote without turning there. But Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now notice he doesn't say all have sinned and, and have not gotten as close as you could. Like when I was a kid, my, my brother bought a, a compound bow and we used to go out on a family's property and shoot all kinds of stuff. But when we had some money and we, we got some archery targets and we'd shoot at those, have contests, we'd count up the points. And in the bullseye, that was, that was 10 points. And then there was concentric circles, you've, you've seen it, that go out from there. And every, every circle that goes out further and further from the bullseye, you, you get one less point. So it's 10 in the middle, then 9, 8, 7. Right? What Paul's saying here, he doesn't say we, we've fallen short of the glory of God, but gotten a few points. He doesn't say, man, you missed the mark, right? That's a, a, a common illustration that, that term sin, missing the mark. Right? You've missed the mark, I mean, and you only got seven today. You got mad at your kids this morning. You shouldn't have talked that way or whatever the case was. But, but oh, but Lord, I did all these good things, right? I, I, I got up, I, I did my quiet time. I actually got to church on time. You start going through this checklist, man, I am pretty good, right? But Paul had just said, we just read, he said, who's given anything to the Lord that he owes them anything? Paul's not saying like, man, you pulled back that bow and you got six out of 10. He, you, didn't, you didn't even get one out of 10, he's saying. He said, you fell short. Your arrow didn't even come close to the target. It didn't even hit it. You get zero points. Man, when I was a kid, I loved it because we, we grew up uh, in Spain. I lived in Spain for four years. We went to all these medieval castles, and they had some crazy stuff. They had this big uh, crossbow one time. It was on wheels. It was, like, I don't, it was huge. I can't imagine getting shot by one of those things. But they had it up on top of this castle, right? And it, Paul's saying, it doesn't matter in your spiritual life what kind of contraption you build to try to, to, try to shoot that target of God's righteousness. He's like, you will fall horribly, horrifically short every time. So he's saying, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not, not even come close to the glory of God. Not scored one or two points on God's, God's righteousness scale. But he continues. That would be some really bad news if he stopped there. But he continues in verse 24. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus justified freely. We've been given this free gift of grace through Christ Jesus. And the story I want to share with you is a, it's a story of a friend of mine. When we first got to Papua New Guinea, I was in language and culture acquisition time and learning the trade language. And we were actually studying there on the center through the book of Romans. We just talked about this verse and so my, my language helper and I sat down. We weren't actually at the time talking about this verse in particular. We were actually doing our, our, our language lesson. We were talking about uh, kind of relationships, about family ties, and, and then there's all these other kinds of, I'd say, relationships of u utility, not necessarily a friend, but kind of bartering. I, I give you something, you give me something back, and he's explaining how this works. 
So they, they live in, in an area, as you saw, it, it's, it's pretty primitive. Most of them couldn't get jobs even if they wanted to. They're subsistence farmers. So they have very little, that they mostly have no, no money. And so if you need something, if I have fish from the river that I got and you have corn from your garden that you grew, we may, we may trade a little bit. And so he's explaining this to me, how this works. And he says, but I'm, you got to be careful. you got to be careful when you go out to the village because you as Americans don't, don't really think about the things you have. It, it may be small to you, but to folks in the village, it's something they could never get. And if you just give that to them, that could be really shameful. So well, how is that? He said, well, I mean, in this relationship, when, when you give something to someone, they have to pay it back. And he said, I mean, everybody in the, in the village, they know exactly what everyone has been given and exactly who has paid that back and who hasn't. He said, if you give somebody something that's too big and they, and they can't pay it back, they, they have not enough corn or there's no way that they could give you something that would equate to that. He said, they would be shamed forever in the village and everybody would remember that. Well, he had just shared that story, and then we went on to talk about family ties, and I was asking, well, how did you, how did you and your wife come to meet? I mean, that, that whole process is totally different than here in America. And so he was explaining how that happened. Now, typically uh, in Papua New Guinea, the, the two families uh, of the, the, the young man and, and the young lady would get together. The, the young man's family would come to the young lady's family and say, hey, um, uh, our son is interested, or we're interested in our son, maybe, in being married to your daughter. Uh, how much would you, would you take for her? Well, then that family would say, thanks for expressing your interest. They would go back um, in their village and just kind of have a time together, and they, they'd figure out how much this young lady was worth. Well, we need a, we need a pig, a, a cow, and uh, some corn, fish, and some rice, some rice and some tuna from town. We want that too. And so they'd, they'd all get together and figure out what they wanted, and they'd come back to that that guy's family, and they'd list out, okay, so uh, Uncle Joe, he wants some tuna from town. Uh, Uncle Bobby, he wants a cow. Um, and they just go down the list, and these are all the things. So when you get all this together, uh, you come back, and we'll seal the deal. Okay, so th these, these bride prices are so, so beyond what any single person uh, could ever come up with. It requires the whole village to pitch in, uh, to, to pay these things. And so Alte's talking to me about well, hey, he was in this unique circumstance where he at the time, and I don't have time to share this, this whole side of the story, but he, he found himself with no family. No family. Working uh, on a coffee garden for this, this very rich, this wealthy, uh, powerful guy in our area. And he said, Papa Sagavo, the, the, the gentleman he was working for, one day said, hey, this guy that's working hard out in my coffee garden, what, what's his name? And they told him, he said, okay, so he's single. Like, what's the, what's the deal with that? And they said, well, he doesn't really have any family. And Papa Zell said, is he interested in anybody? He said, yes, he is. Yeah, there's a young lady across the way he's really interested in, but like, he's got no family. Like, there's no one to pay the bride price. There's no way he could ever get married. Papa Zell said, I tell you what, uh, you go talk to that family. Let them know that I will cover the expense. And he worked out all of that for my friend, called my friend and said, hey, I know you're interested in this young lady. I have paid the bride price. You may go bring her home and she's yours. And so I, I'm, I'm scratching my head. I'm going, Alte, is that hugely shameful then? Like you were talking about like I can't, I can't give like maybe like a, a water bottle to somebody or something because that's, that's crazy expensive and they could never pay me back. But this guy paid the bride price for you? Is that, is that really shameful? He's like, no, I mean, no. 
Like, okay, why don't you explain that to me? Because I'm a little lost right now. He said, I mean, when somebody does something like that, when somebody, when somebody reaches out to you, I get, he's like, I, I didn't merit this gift. He said, I didn't ask for this gift. He's like, for, for no reason other than just out of his generosity, he reached out to me. And he said, hey, I have paid this already and I'm offering it to you. Will you take it? He's like, when someone does that, that's not shameful. He's like, that's, that's amazing. I said, okay, well, 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 what do you do then? Like, what do you do afterwards? He said, well, you give him a, he said that you give him a big name. You make him famous in the community. Okay. So how long does that last? Like, is it a, a couple months, a year, 10 years? He said, no, I mean, for the rest of my life. Like, well, that's pretty heavy. For the rest of your life. He's like, yeah. So yeah, when someone brings up his name in conversation, I say, let me tell you what Papa Sagavo did for me. I say, wow, does that ever get to be a drag? Like, do you ever, do you ever find yourself out just, just thinking, I, just, I can't, like just right now, I'm just, I'm just tired. I'm tired of telling the story. Man, I hope nobody says that guy's name. And he said, I mean, that's ridiculous. I've never heard anything more ridiculous than that. He said, if somebody gave you a gift like that, you would never get tired about telling anyone you could about what they had done for you. I said, I'll tell you, that's amazing. Because you, you know how earlier we were studying Romans 12.1 and it talked about being living sacrifices. This, this is our only reasonable response. It's like, yeah, I remember that. It's like, I'll tell you, this is exactly what Paul was talking about. It's like, I have never seen it that way before. I said, thank you for telling me your story. Like, that's exactly what Paul's talking about. In his love for us, in his desire for us to be reconciled to him, God freely offered us the costly gift of grace and mercy. That gift was extended to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, walked as a man, died a horrific, shameful, painful death on the cross, having lived a perfect life, deserving none of that, he did that gladly, the Bible tells us, to pay for our sins, to provide us the opportunity to extend us the offer of grace and mercy and Paul is saying, I can think of nothing else, no other way to live the rest of my life than to give him a big name. I want to make him famous. I want to, every time somebody says his name, I want to say, let me tell you what he has done for me. And when we understand not only what we've been saved from, but what we've been saved to, we just saying, I'm a child of God. Man, you, sometime this week, read Ephesians chapter 1. What Paul says in the church of Ephesus is all, all the things that we are in Christ. When we understand not just that we've been saved from hell, but we've been saved to this incredible life, reconciled to our creator, reconciled in relationship to the body of Christ, to each other. When we understand that, it should transform our lives. It should transform our relationships, transform our stewardship are the resources we've entrusted with, our time, our talent, our treasures. As Nate Saint said many years ago, we should desire nothing else than to be expendable 
for the king. We're celebrating this weekend men and women who have been expendable for our country, who, who have provided through their breath and the loss of that breath the freedom that we enjoy to gather together openly this morning and worship God, to read his scripture, to hold this in our hands. We have 400 different translations on my phone in the English language of God's word. When thousands of people, groups, billions of people around the world don't even have one word. Man, what a privilege it is. And we celebrate this week and the sacrifice that so many have made so that we can openly and freely enjoy that privilege. And yet Paul's saying, man, we've been given something even greater that's not going to end with this life. It's going to go for all of eternity. He says, man, we should live our lives joyously and expending ourselves for the king. It's what he was expressing when he penned Philippians 4.13. He said, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Growing up playing sports, that was often read before a sports game. All right, guys, let's gather around and <laughs> we can do all things. Like I know this team is 10 times our size and way faster than us. They've gone to state every year and we haven't won a game in a decade, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Right? Paul didn't mean that to be read at a pep rally. If we look back at the verses in Philippians 4, right before that, we see what Paul was really saying. He said, I'm not saying this, Philippians, because I'm in need. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. He said, I know what it is to be in need with nothing, to be in poverty. He said, but I also know at times I've had plenty. And this, the Lord has allowed me to do those well. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. So whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through Christ who strengthens me. I love Pastor Matt Chandler when he's sharing on this. He's a, a, a pastor uh, here in Texas, if you're not familiar with him, but the Village Church. And he was just talking about, man, what freedom Paul had, what freedom we can find in our faith in Christ when we get to that point where it's like, Lord, it's all yours. My life, everything I have, whether I have everything I want or I have nothing I want, I have you. And that really in the end is all I want. And what freedom. Like here's a guy who is stoned to death, it tells us in Acts, left for dead outside the city. He gets up and goes back to finish his sermon. That's crazy. Here's a guy who's thrown in prison. And rather than sitting and moping and, man, I can't believe I'm in here. I just, God, where, where are you, man? Man, God, I was preaching your word and you, just, you left me, you hung me out to dry. He sings God's praises till the walls fall down. It's a guy who, who they're, they're so angry with, they're like, man, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you, Paul. I said, fine, yeah. To die is Christ. It's like, oh, well, we'll let you live. He's like, yeah. to live or to live is Christ. To die is gain. It's like, man, we can't let you live. We can't let you die. We can't put you in jail. We can't, we can't do anything to you, Paul. What's wrong with you? And he recognized what I pray that we recognize, what I pray transforms our lives, that at the end of the day, the Bible is clear. There are two things in this room with us this morning that will stand for all of eternity, the word of the Lord and the souls of men. 
And Paul lived his life to be expendable, to use the one for the eternal benefit and good of the other and ultimately for the glory of God. And for every, every believer that's listening to this this morning, whether you're in here, whether you're online, and in light of this gift that we have been offered, if you receive that, that gift of grace, that gift of mercy, man, we should be singing God's praises like Paul was in the end of Romans 11. Man, God, I can't believe it. I didn't deserve this. And you reached out and you just, you, you bought it for me. You offered it to me. You're just saying, take it. I can't believe this. Thank you. Man, I'm going to live the rest of my life to give you a big name, God. But the task is urgent and time is short. The last words we have from God at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20, Christ says, yes, I am coming soon. John closes. He says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.